Welcome to Theologizing Life with Anthony and Matt Tracy. I won't do the, you know, one and only Matt Anthony. Tracy. <laughs> it makes him uncomfortable. <clears throat> I don't know why. Well, we are recording this actually uh, down to the wire the day before it releases. So it is February 1. I feel like January went by really fast. It was a wild month. Uh, I feel the like, opposite. It was like it was a wild weird. month, but it, it felt like it, it dragged on forever. It's kind of a weird mixture. I don't know if you ever have that paradox where it's like, oh, that felt like it lasted forever, but at the same time, like, how is it already February? That's um, kind of true. I just thought like, the other day, like, Christmas was barely a month ago. Yeah, Christmas does feel forever away. Yeah. I'm, I I committed a a sin in my book. I didn't watch Home Alone 2 over the Christmas holiday. <laughs> yeah, I forgot you and, loved it. <laughs> oh, man, I love Home Alone 1 and 2. Home Alone is kind of a controversial, uh, a deep cut. Not everyone loves Home Alone 2 that much. Oh, oh really? I, I like that one, though. Home Alone 1, I think, we watched it with my family. Uh, Elisa, my wife, watched it for the first time a couple of years ago. She wasn't a fan. Okay. All right. Well, I don't have a comment about that. So Home Alone <laughs> 1 and 2 are good, but Home Alone 3 is questionable, and then there's a fourth, and then we watched the one that came out this year. Was on Disney Plus, and it was it was not great. It was, in my isn't, opinion, not. Isn't the third one like doesn't it doesn't even have Macaulay Culkin in it, or is that the? Yeah, fourth? the no, the third one has a different kid, uh, in it. But yeah, that's when it's just like it's not even worth it. Strange thing, Scarlett Johansson is in the third one though. As a teenager, she's like his older sister, that's uh, which is really really weird. I didn't realize how old the third one was. Uh, it was still in the nineties, I think, but. Well, anyhow, yes, Christmas was forever ago, and this month's been crazy. Uh, we've had a couple, I've, I've had a couple instances of exposures where I thought, like, was I going to have to cancel church because our whole staff had an exposure, and uh, thankfully, COVID. we didn't. Yeah, huh? to COVID. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exposures to COVID. So it's been weird. I broke my ankle last week, so that's been, that's been a new experience. Um, yeah playing open gym basketball at church <laughs> showing some showing some teens on the court yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh waking ankles out there <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm uh i'm on the injured list <laughs> um so it wasn't just one of those like i was running down the court and like tripped okay like i i went up for a layup i'm pretty sure i made it like <laughs> oh yeah I'm sure I made it. and that makes it um, yeah, and then I landed. I'm pretty sure I must have landed on someone else's foot and just rolled off of their foot, and it was nasty. But uh, but you drained yeah. that. That's all that matters. Yeah, our team lost though. <laughs> I think I I texted someone who was on my team later. I was like, "Did we win?" It's like, <laughs> "No, no, we didn't." Because <laughs> yeah. that would have made. Would have lied just to make you feel better, though. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> come on, man. You could could just have given me that. You could just let me have it. Uh, well, you know, there's plenty of bad news uh, to go around. And so we've been doing this thing where we try to find some uh, odd, quirky, funny news. And um, I came across something. So, uh, you know, those uh, personalized uh, vanity plates, like you can pay extra. So your license plate can say something or have your initials or, oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Well, um, the Florida Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles uh, says the state law allows the agency to reject vanity plates that it deems obscene or objectionable. And um, so the report came out, they 
the department said that more than 500 plate requests were rejected in 2021. And so I can't actually read some of the ones rejected, but <laughs> some of the rejected were T. T Bundy, oh, uh, <laughs> uh, 2020 WTF. Okay, uh, that's, that's, I would have been impressed with that, that idea, but yeah, I would never check on that one. Fart. Like, <laughs> one, one that was rejected is fart, F-A-A-A-R-T, uh, I, I fart, okay. uh, drug, drug man, uh, M3TH, so meth. Okay, got it. Yep. Yeah, the threes, you know, like an yeah, E. Got it. Uh, e backwards. Um, and then there's a couple that are just sort of like uh, inappropriate and like uh, a sexual way. Um, <laughs> <Get it. laughs> uh, that, you know, we won't read. One, W H T R A 5 H. So uh, white trash. The five is like an S. Uh, that one. You know, uh, somehow I'm I'm like, if you want to put that on your car and you want know, right? to like, try to do it, why not? Just let them. You know, it's embarrassing. So it's like it's not it's not any skin off your nose if you if you approve that and someone wants to do that to themselves. I know, right? Like, right. <laughs> I just uh, think of the. Uh, I don't even know if they do this anymore, but like if you're at the mall or something like that, and they they come over the PA system, it's like. Someone with the license plate white trash, <laughs> you left your headlights on. <laughs> I repeat, white trash, go turn off your headlights. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, the other thing that I think is kind of ironic because Florida gets a lot of shade uh, is like that they, of the states that rejected it, it's Florida. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, shouldn't they just let it go? Come yeah, on. I know. It's like, don't, don't they let anything go down there? Yeah. Like, I think alligators eat someone's puppy like twice a day there it's like you have <laughs> other things to worry about than you know and denying like, someone putting white trash on your license plate <laughs> yeah. um, good days well you know you love florida you every time you go to florida you like come back a new person so so, so the, no the, the, uh, the, no hate toward florida yeah i love the sunshine and palm trees i don't think i, I could live there i've heard like there's just some uh, some crazy creatures like the alligators like legit you have to like be concerned about letting your dog out yeah. you know to go go to the bathroom and then like there's cockroaches of legendary proportions down there call them palmetto bugs down there you know they don't it's call them cockroaches <laughs> same exact it's, it's a roach i mean let's be honest yeah and then some snakes in different parts like i don't i'm not i wouldn't be i wouldn't be a fan of that but i love when we go on vacation i just the sunshine the palm trees it just like renews my soul yeah. we're going we're going in march so uh, after the winter will almost have killed my soul, I will yeah. go and be revived. <laughs> I can't. Definitely. But, Speaking well, of winter, uh, I don't have like a news story to share, but just a uh, something happening in our lifetime right now is like a snowstorm of biblical proportions that's about to clobber us tonight and tomorrow. So they're saying like guaranteed at least where I live like 12 to 18 inches of snow over the next two days which is yeah absolutely insane like I mean northern Indiana like our weather here is weird because we get kind of lake effect snow but I, I live a little too far south to get lake effect snow mm -hmm. so like 45 minutes north of me where you are they could get like a foot and I'll get nothing so mm -hmm. I'm not used to this kind of snow and so I'm not looking forward to that I've already 
canceled all my plans for the rest of the week because it's not going to be a fun time. So I saw on the, the weather report, it said impossible travel conditions, which is something I've never seen before. <laughs> impossible. Yeah. Not like difficult or dangerous. Yeah. Impossible. Just like, don't even attempt it. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so I still have some things on the calendar uh, for the for the rest of the week that we'll see how it we'll see how it goes. I wouldn't count on it. Yeah, I'm not counting on it, but <laughs> you know, you never know about the one. Indiana could change, even though the consensus is that we're going to get pummeled. No, it's and pretty then, much a, a guarantee. A guarantee, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the plows and stuff. So last year, I know we may get more than we did last year, but last year we got hit pretty good too. I don't know if you remember. I, the main reason I remember is we went out with our kids and made giant snowmen, and Evelyn was in this. Uh, she was um, not even two yet at the time, so. She's in, in this giant pink uh, snowsuit and like these boots. And so like, she, she looked like the Michelin man, a <laughs> pink Michelin man. It was like wobbling. And then the snow was so deep. She was like falling over every uh, couple of steps and like then couldn't get up. <laughs> so she's just like on the ground with her legs, her little <laughs> arms and legs like, ah. <laughs> and it was- we got, I mean, we got a lot of snow last, last winter, but it, it was over a couple of weeks. Like yeah, not a, the old stuff time. didn't melt and then we just got more on top of that this is all like just one just big event one big dump you know it's a beautiful day outside it's like 40 degrees and sunny but tonight it's yeah. just like i don't know anyway the blizzard of 2022 yeah it'll be a thing yeah i'm not looking forward to it i don't like the snow but yeah yeah me either so it's february and uh, it's the month of the, the holiday, Valentine's Day. And so uh, do you have plans for Valentine's Day, Matt? Um, there is a movie I kind of want to see. Uh, so my wife and I might go and uh, go and see that. That is dependent on childcare, though, because we don't have any family that lives in the area. And uh, right. our married friends aren't going to want to watch a two-year-old on Valentine's Day. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same here. We don't have plans yet, um, but if we get a babysitter, we'll probably go to dinner or something. So, um, all right. Well, in that vein, we're going to talk about uh, Song of Songs, the uh, the dirty book of the Bible, <laughs> the, the 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 unsanctified. I call it yet. dirty. I know you're. <laughs> I was, I know you were saying that in jest, but a lot of people think like, oh, it's too risque for me. I can't can't read that it's oh too- i know or, or i think some people think it's it's totally just talking about other stuff and don't so there's people on either extreme like oh it's too dirty or people who i think don't realize the the metaphors and what's like happening here mm-hmm. uh, so um so yeah we're going to talk about song of songs or song of solomon is what some people uh, uh say so matt could you give us just a just give us a broad introduction matt's going to be sort of our guide through song of songs he's written a couple blog posts that you can find at Oh, I'll give you the, the blog handle at the end. Um, okay. All right. Premature. Premature. Yeah. So it's going to be like that. You know, if, you, if you're interested in hearing more, check yeah. it out. So but, this is a teaser. Song yeah. song teaser. Yeah. Um, this is just a book that I have always been really curious about. have never been bold enough to try to tackle and study, but I love to write and writing helps me study the Bible. Like I, I'm able to process and mm-hmm. apply and understand better when I can process it through writing it out and so I decided to write a blog series just on the book of Song of Songs it's taken me a really long time because it's a difficult book 
my, you know, what I write isn't really nearly to the extent of what I actually like learn. I just try to condense it into a couple paragraphs. That's just like easy to, mm-hmm. you know, understand and stuff. But um, over the time I've spent studying it, it's, it's kind of revealed itself to be a really fascinating book that has some really cool, um, just kind of underlying themes and uh, underlying stories. There's like a kind of a story beneath the story that you can read. Um, and it's just a really cool celebration of the human experience that, you know, it's, it's intimidating, I think, to some people. One of the more difficult books of the Bible, but I would encourage anyone to read it on their own. So good stuff. Well, should we dive into the nitty gritty? Yeah, absolutely. A good place to start sometimes is when we're, when we're approaching scripture. So one thing I would say is maybe as we, as we talk through this, this could be also a good sort of framing for if in your own personal study, you want to, you want to go on a little bit of a, a Bible nerd route. Um, these are some questions or some categories you could approach scripture with, but um, one of the helpful things sometimes to begin with is authorship. Uh, so who wrote Song of Songs? And um, I think some people will think, well, Solomon, you know, we have sort of these traditional um, uh, conventional uh, assumptions sometimes about the authorship of different books of the Bible, but um, sometimes a, a deeper textual criticism or deeper study of the text and the history of the text reveal that uh, sometimes those assumptions are accurate. So yeah. Matt, who's, who's the author? Isn't it, isn't it Solomon? So the, that's kind of the traditional understanding and it's not a, I don't want to say like, that's not true that Solomon 100% didn't write it. Um, But there are other ideas. There are problems with that theory and there are other kind of suggestions that I think are a little bit more plausible. So it's attributed to Solomon. The first verse is the song of songs, which is Solomon's that's verse one. Uh, so that's why it's called Song of Songs. It's named after the first line of the book, which is kind of the Hebrew tradition. A lot of the Old Testament books in the original Hebrew are named after the first line or the first word. So it's attributed to Solomon. But if you know anything about Solomon, um, you'll you'll know that he was kind of a philanderer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, 700 wives, 300 concubines, which were basically just royal prostitutes clearly went against God's command. Uh, it says in Deuteronomy that a king is not allowed to take more than one wife. Solomon definitely disobeyed that command. So he wasn't exactly a good example of, you know, someone who had a holy understanding of love and romance. And so you could see, you, right, could see right. why you were my, you were my only one. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> so you can kind of understand why there are, there are people who have a bit of a problem, you know, designating authorship to Solomon, you know, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, what does he have, like, how can we attribute this authorship to Solomon? Like, does yeah, he actually I, have anything to say to this? Yeah, like, that's not to say he didn't write it, or there are people who say like, oh, he wrote this before he decided to marry 699 other people, or, you know, like... This is just about one of his most beloved wives. Sure, maybe that's that's possible, but it's it's also possible. This is kind of another traditional interpretation. It's that the the authorship is anonymous, but it's like dedicated to Solomon. So Solomon is credited with kind of starting the Jewish wisdom tradition. And it might be, you know, this is 
a book written within the wisdom tradition that Solomon pioneered or something like that uh, in the style of Solomon, in the vein of Solomon's wisdom. Or it could even be like a dedication, you know, like in the beginning of a book where an author would be like, you know, I dedicate this to my family or to my agent, you know, uh, you've inspired me to write this book. Um, it could be, you know, this is written in the style of Solomon's wisdom literature, you like, you know, like a musical artist would, you know, model their style after one of the classics like Elvis or the Beatles. So all of those are on the table. That's not to say, you know, Solomon for sure did or didn't write it. Personally, this is just my opinion. I, I have a bit of a problem with, you know, Solomon writing it because I don't know if he had much to say about this matter. <laughs> but um, those are just kind of the, a couple of different ideas um, as to the authorship of the book. So I would say probably not Solomon. <laughs> yeah. Um, which should that, uh, should that like upset anyone's uh confidence in the scriptures uh if if it's sort of like should it rock their boat to say you know solomon may not have been the author i mean i don't think so i mean there there are a lot of books of the bible that were written anonymously and the the dedication to solomon in the beginning is not necessarily like the author is pretending to be solomon um it's not a lie an outright lie if the person in fact was not Solomon who wrote the book. I don't think it should shake your confidence in the, the authority of scripture in any way. Like we attribute the book of Deuteronomy to Moses and Moses probably wrote most of it, but the book of Deuteronomy also includes Moses's death, which obviously Moses didn't write. We don't know who wrote that part of the book of Deuteronomy, but we don't throw out Deuteronomy as, you know, not a scripturally authoritative because we don't know who wrote the end of it. I think it's kind of the same idea. Um, anonymous authorship or uh, kind of ambiguous authorship doesn't really, it shouldn't shake your confidence in the authority of the scripture. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, there's, there's some scholarly debate about the authorship of a few other Old Testament books. And, and there's also important in some things to understand the, a lot of the books had, you know, a lot of the, cultural narrative was uh, passed down through oral traditions and was written later and there were scribes involved and um it doesn't it doesn't uh especially in like ancient jewish mind it doesn't change the right uh authenticity or reliability of it right i think um, that the, the distinction we have to make when we're reading these things from our perspective is that ancient jewish people weren't as concerned as we are with original source material, like we need to trace the origin, the, uh, the provenance of this particular piece of writing back to its sources so that we know it's legitimate. Like- Yeah, was, they didn't have was, a copyright and ISBN like, number exactly. and all that stuff. Like, it was oral tradition. A lot of it has was passed down over centuries. Uh, and that was just how things were put together how pieces of literature writing was put together back then and um, a lot of it wasn't nearly as scientific if you will as as mm -hmm. it is today so yeah you know may, Paul, uh, just a side note maybe we should do a, an episode on like sort of how we got our bible um, yeah. sometime that could be good yeah. and talk about the 
why we believe it's reliable and things. Um, so authorship could have been Solomon. There's some, some questions uh, and, and some sense that there's some incongruity between the main message of Solomon and Solomon's actual life is, is part of the, the concern. The, yeah. uh, the, the idea of, of faithful love, uh, committed faithful love, uh, and Solomon's 1,000 ladies seems mm -hmm. incongruous. Uh, so uh, could be could be another author. Tell us a little bit about so it's it's sort of poetic. There's metaphors. There's it's wisdom literature. And so how how do we interpret that? Could you share some interpretive theory? Uh, share share about uh, how how we can interpret uh, and understand Song of Songs. All right. So <clears throat> there is a lot of debate over how exactly to tackle it, how um, we should read it, uh, how we should understand it. And I'm gonna give you four, just four kind of common interpretive theories on how people uh, read it. Various scholars have read it um, over the years. This isn't exhaustive, but uh, I think it's a kind of a good starting point to kind of, you know, as uh, someone who might be reading it for the first time or reading it closely for the first time to have these in the back of your mind uh, as you're as you're going through it. So the first one is, uh, I'm kind of making up these categories, uh, but the first interpretive kind of strategy is a character portrait. So it's in, in this view that the book is kind of an idyllic representation of uh, how God wants to shape his people. So that sounds a little bit heady and ambiguous, but um, I would kind of summarize it this way. The song is an attractive portrait of redeemed humanity in relationship to God and one another. And the ideal relationship uh, between humanity and between God uh, is a relationship that is defined by freely, freely giving and freely receiving love. And the Song of Songs in this kind of character portrait understanding um, is a human metaphor for kind of a divine give and take, uh, if that makes sense. So it's it's putting this divine uh, human relationship in terms of a romantic relationship uh, with a man and a woman, uh, which is to say, here is how God ideally uh, wants his people, his created people to live their lives in a state of freely giving and gratefully receiving love uh, from one another and from him. The other, uh, another interpretive lens is allegory. So you'll hear it kind of commonly uh, understood that the Song of Songs is a allegory of Jesus and the church. So it's a, a depiction of Christ's love for the church. And that has its its basis in the language of the old, the New Testament, where you know the church is the bride of Christ. We are uh, united with Christ as a as a bride and groom on their wedding day. But I think more likely, uh, if you're going to go the allegory route, <clears throat> it's probably more of a an allegory of Israel. Mm -hmm. um, the Old Testament has language uh, to describe Israel's relationship with God in a similar way that we have language to describe our relationship with the church or God's relationship with the church, excuse me. Um, so I think that the, there's, there's imagery, there's symbolism uh, and language in Song of Songs that is very, very tied to Israel's salvation history. And so 
the Song of Songs, if you're going to go the allegory route, uh, is a kind of a depiction, an allegorical description of how God has pursued the affections of Israel uh, throughout her history as God's people. So um, there are a couple of specific examples that I, I get into you know, in my blog posts where you can pretty clearly see uh, references to Israel's salvation history that are really fascinating. Um, don't have time to get into those right now, but uh, another interpretive lens is just a theology of human sexuality. And I think this is kind of on the, on the, the surface face value, this is probably the best interpretation of it. Uh, it's just a celebration, God's gift of marriage, love, pleasure, and sex. And it really sets Christianity apart uh, from other world religions because uh, these, because Christianity celebrates human pleasure and sexuality uh, where other faith uh, ideologies might spurn it as like carnal or earthly or sinful or, or unclean. The Song of Songs is kind of a divine affirmation of those things. It celebrates the joy of the human experience of love. And that's a really important kind of theological truth that we can, you know, grasp as believers today. So I think it's interesting. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate here for a little bit. Um, Matt, you you just said that like uh, Christianity actually affirms pleasure, but like, aren't we supposed to deny self and you know uh, not live according to the carnal man? And and so uh, so how, how does that how does that go together? Are you are you saying um, are you saying my understanding of that is wrong? I think the the way that we view sex and love and romance in the Christian faith um, sometimes is very sterilized. And like the only way that we talk about it is avoid it. Don't think about it. Don't do it until you're married. Um, okay. Whereas I think that God's intention um, is that we view it as a gift, you know, <laughs> and like any gift um, it's, it's given to us, for the intention of us using it like rightly and within its boundaries. And so if we understand and fully grasp the gravity of what human sexuality is and what it means as a gift from God, then we are more motivated to use it and enjoy it within the boundaries that God has placed on it. <clears throat> so I'm not saying that uh, the intention of Song of Songs is go do it and enjoy it freely and without regard for its boundaries or the gravity of it. Um, it the, the intention of the book, I think, is, you know, this is a gift. This is a good gift from God given to his creation, whom God takes pleasure in blessing. And it's meant to point us in the end toward him. And so that when we recognize that, when we recognize what it, you know, what this gift of love is for, uh, we're more motivated to enjoy it within the boundaries that God has placed on it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think sometimes we underplay the significance that God created humanity in his own image. And one of the ways I think we participate in that image is through the procreation of new life. Like, like it's still profoundly overwhelming to me to think about my kids and the complexity of their eyeballs and then the beauty of their personalities and the fact that there's this living person 
they, they have personhood that's up and walking around in the, the way of all the ways that God could have created or designed, I guess, for that to happen. It's, it's through the sexual union between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's something about that that uniquely reflects the image of God. Uh, that, that's not to say that people who are single or who are not married, who don't have kids, don't reflect the image of God. I don't want to say that at all. I'm just saying there's something about that that, that is a dimension of reflecting the image of God. Another, uh, I love this, I love this passage. It's actually in Proverbs 5 too, just to support this thing you're saying, just to sort of reaffirm your affirmation of, uh, of sexual intimacy. Uh, Proverbs 5 is talking about the wisdom of staying away from the unfaithful woman. And in 5.15, it says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. And this is a metaphor. It's not, it's not being literal. Uh, should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Like, that's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. May her breast satisfy you always. Yeah. May you be intoxicated with her love. Yeah. Uh, we don't preach that on Sunday morning very right very often. And I and think to and a it, degree for good reason. But yeah, I was gonna say yeah. there's a sense in which there is some things that are just better left enjoyed without you know without preaching them on Sunday morning. But there's there's an importance to the the gift of just physical pleasure that God has given us that's uniquely human. You know, like my there's birds outside that propagate like crazy like there's a thousand of them in the sky and they have babies and rabbits and other animals and stuff like that but they don't fall in love they don't get Mm. to experience the joy of falling in love and sharing life and enjoyment and pleasure from another being it's very uniquely human experience that really sets us apart and it's a i think that's one of the most clear divine gifts that god has given us because it's something that really is not experienced by any other being like my like a dog will love you but a dog is not going to express or show love even remotely closely to the love of another person you know yeah yeah that's good that's good well i inter i interjected in the in in the midst of your uh description of just some interpretive theories or well, yeah those are the big the big three and then the number four is just kind of a if you're going to go with like the literal interpretation it's just a, a love poem written by solomon to uh, another person from his perspective so um i think i don't think there's one correct answer i think there's value in reading the book um from all of these perspectives so i think you can learn something from every single one of them um so i'm not going to like prescribe one if i would pick a i think a I think the one that stands stands out the most uh, is the theology of human sexuality, but there's also a a really I think beautiful underlying narrative of um, God's relationship with Israel as well. So I would I would say there's definitely an allegory uh, to it as well. Yeah, and I think what's helpful for me to think about because Israel seems uh, either distant from me, like distant from my experience, because I'm not an Israelite or a Jew, or the other end of it is uh, I begin to to um, maybe elevate the present day nation of Israel mm-hmm. in a way that's like not 
not applicable at least to to what's happening here so if some of you think if, if you think of israel as the people of god then that sort of allegory uh interpretive theory it, it can sort of work both ways i guess with the new new testament lens of the church is the people of god or the old mm-hmm. testament israel is the people of god and just sort of view it through the lens of like this is how god um, lovingly pursues uh, his people, the people yeah. who are in relationship with him, the people of God. Um, yeah. And sometimes that's helpful for me anyways to, to think. Yeah, through. I think I like the way you said that, because I think we have to be careful when we when we talk about Israel and the church, because the church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. I, right. I, those are two separate, very unique expressions of God's love, basically. Um, yeah. But when, when it comes to the idea of like the people of God, which is an overarching biblical theme, mm-hmm. I think that th- that's where you can really apply this yeah. concept is like the people of God crosses national boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. awesome. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what are, what are some key themes? Like if we were reading through uh, Song of Songs, what are some things that, that would be helpful for us to have in mind or to notice or recognize? Yeah, so I think the first theme is just God's gift of love. So the to summarize it very succinctly, the depth and wonder and sensation and thrill of God's gift of human love. So if you read the book, it it really heightens the senses. the The author is really cons- like really focused on providing a kind of a comprehensive. Uh, sensation of what being in love is like and so it talks about herbs and spices and textures and colors and flowers and nature and water and animals and like just to try and like evoke all of the the wonderful beautiful sensations of what human romance is like (laughs) Uh, trying to just capture like a really kind of incomprehensible sensation and um, I just think that's a really beautiful uh, way to celebrate, you know, that love is a gift and you yeah. can try to use all the metaphors to describe it. You can try to use all the metaphors you can to, to you know, evoke the senses in, in a way that's kind of similar, but there's really no metaphor that, that comes close. And I think that's a, a really important theme of the book. It's just God's gift of love and how indescribably mm-hmm. uh, beautiful it is. Yeah, and I think we've maybe uh, danced along this line in the past and as we talked about some other theological things, but <laughs> part of the underlying uh, starting point, I guess, that both you and I, I think, come from and agree is that God created uh, the physical world, the cosmos, and humanity as embodied souls, and he declared it was good. And so the problem of sin the answer is not to eradicate the physical realm and uh, even to uh, eradicate the, the earth itself, but actually the narrative of scripture is one of resurrection, that Jesus was bodily raised and what God did in Christ, he will do one day for us and we will be raised with Christ. And also that we created order, that uh, there is new creation and new heavens and a new earth that uh, Paul says, I think it's in Romans 8, that all of creation groans in hopeful anticipation for the day when the sons of God will be revealed. So there's this, um, I guess, underlying conviction or foundation that we begin with that like the physical realm, the physical body, physical human experience is not the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and when the scripture speaks of the flesh, I think it's talking about the sort of carnal corruption of the flesh, not the um, not the image of God embodied soul yeah. realm that God created good in the first place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, Song of Songs, I think it depicts love in its purest sense and love as God intended it to be. And that includes pleasure and carnal pleasure is not a sin um, if it's enjoyed within God's uh, boundaries. So I think another key theme is God's love for Israel. And as we talked about, Israel can be kind of, uh, that idea can kind of be expanded to the people of God, God's love for his people. Mm -hmm. And so I think, so there's a a bit of a storyline that, that can kind of be pulled out of the book. If you read it, you know, beginning to end, it's a little bit um, foggy. I think there's not, there's not a a huge amount of like uh, plotting. I don't think there's not a a, a enormous amount of structure. Um, I think it's more just a poetic expression. It almost mm-hmm. reads like a kind of stream of consciousness, almost like a dreamlike haze. I think yeah, yeah. that's kind of the sense that you get. It's like kind of just like a dream where it's like you kind of like experience it. But you barely, there's no, there's not a whole lot of, you know, action, like plot action that goes on. Um, but the allegories and the, the pattern that the, the two characters, the main characters are kind of caught up in is a really fascinating and and beautiful allegorical representation i think of god's relationship with israel and um they're they're caught up in this pattern of um longing for one another desperately enjoying one another's presence and then searching for one another again and Mm -hmm. that really i think parallels israel's experience with god uh throughout her history and I think it also experience it, it parallels our experience with God as believers today. Like it's not always going to be uh, bliss. There, a yeah. lot of the time, our experience in relationship with God is going to be marked by longing and pain and sadness of separation because we are just mm-hmm. longing for his presence and we can't have it right now. And that's what the two lovers experience uh, pretty often in the book um, when they're together it's blissful harmony but it's not lasting and they're anticipating yeah. this consummated reality where they're going to be together again forever and never separated yeah and i think that's a really beautiful parallel to our experience today as the people of god that's how we yeah. kind of exist in relationship with god uh, today yeah. i heard you I, what i heard i just want to share what i heard is um, there's this sort of this theme uh, in in context of God's love for the people of God or for humanity. There's this experience of longing, searching, and embracing. Mm-hmm. And and at different points, we find ourselves. We can find ourselves in all of those points. Right. Um, longing and searching and embracing. And um, I think sometimes what happens though is our longings drive us to counterfeit temporary uh lesser things uh that's where sometimes temptations or our longings our affections get hijacked um but they're they're actually good gifts they're meant to be indicators of our of our desire for god our longing for god but cool any other any other key themes yeah just um i i I hit on it 
um, before. I kind of blended the two, but I think anticipation mm-hmm. is, yeah. is a huge theme where the the lovers are the story that the book is kind of told from the perspective of a man and a woman who are desperately longing for one another and they experience kind of the bliss of physical union but they also experience the pain of heartbreak and separation and their hope is togetherness their hope is union mm-hmm. and uh, inseparability and a fun allegorical uh you know symbol i think the the scenes of their their union often take place in a garden where God first was united with man fully. Yeah, that's cool. I think the the anticipation that they experience the the metaphor of of lovers longing after one another, uh, desiring eternal union is um, an incredible like like you said, just a a really incredible parallel of of the human experience in relationship to god so uh first of all key theme god's gift of love it's beautiful it's indescribable another key theme god loves israel god loves his people lovingly pursues his people is devoted to his people and uh the third key theme is anticipation like the lovers in the story uh who are often you know what were the the three that you i think you summarized it well you uh, longing, searching, embracing. Longing, searching, and embracing. That pattern of longing, searching, and embracing. We we can find ourselves as believers today in in any one of those categories. Um, and the anticipation is that we will kind of break the cycle of that pattern mm-hmm. one day and be yeah. united with God. So yeah, that's good. Um, well, Matt, this is fun, and you and I like talking about this. But like, is there is there uh, is there some relevance uh, to all this? talk we've, we've had uh for us today yeah um i'm curious to see to to hear your thoughts on this as well but i think they if i'm going to like give a sermon on this i would i would kind of boil it down to the song of songs is divine permission to be in love divine permission to experience the joy of love so mm-hmm. If you compare compare the Song of Songs to the Proverbs, I had a professor in, in seminary who, who put it this way. I thought it was really helpful. The proverb Proverbs is like the standard for wisdom literature. Song of Songs mm-hmm. is wisdom literature. Um, and Proverbs is kind of the standard. It's like the, the staple, like this is what liter- wisdom literature is like. But Proverbs, as great of a book as it is, it's very sterile. It's very rigid. It's very logical. You know, if you do, if you do why then X will happen. If you don't do X, the result will be Y. It's like mm-hmm. this and that, this becomes that, this gives you mm-hmm. that. Uh, it's just very um, stilted, very rigid, not a whole lot of exception. This is how the world works most of the time. Yeah. But yeah. that's the human experience. Uh, we all know that the world we live in is a lot more complicated than that. And so I think the Song of Songs experiments with that theme where sometimes life just doesn't make sense that way and romantic love is one of those instances where life is just not that simple um because romantic love is not sterile sterile it's not rigid it's not logical it's actually indulgent it's sensual at times it's even irrational (laughs) causes you to do or think things that are just kind of crazy um and i think overall song of songs is just a divine affirmation that that is good, that that's a gift, yeah. that that it's okay to experience those things and enjoy those things within the boundaries that God has 
designed. Um, mm-hmm. Love is meant to be enjoyed. It, it's a gift from God. And above all, like all good gifts, it's meant to be a reminder just of how desperately God loves us um, as yeah. well. So, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think um, if I were to boil it down to there, there'd be two things I think that I think are relevant to us today. And they're kind of these corrective paradigms or corrective lenses for how we see things. Uh, So one is a corrective lens for how we see sex and the other a corrective lens for how we see God. Uh, So I've read in some books and even some counseling, like uh, marriage related books that like there are these counselors that have had to work with people who are these married couples um, who are having some issues in their marriage because there's so much shame associated with sex because they grew up in a very conservative like strict christian environment and it was you know don't do it till you're married don't do it don't do it don't do it um but then once they did get married it was like there was all this association uh shame even in the context of marriage where it's it's meant to be enjoyed and experienced as a good gift of god so i think there's this corrective lens for how um sometimes in the church we treated sex and i think the the important thing is like what i what i like to highlight is the what i would say the boundaries in scripture are intended to protect the intimacy of two people even um psychological science sociological science uh would 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 tell us that um our human wiring and desire for connection isn't really made for uh meaningless what 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 i've heard people call meaningless sex like we're, we're not made for uh just sort of to be um, bouncing in and out of these these activities that are meant to be physical embodiments of vulnerable intimacy. Mm-hmm. We're not made for that. Um, so the, the Bible's prohibitions are meant to protect that, not to condemn it, though, in the right context. And so, like, it is a good gift. It's a way we reflect the image of God. It's okay to enjoy. And so one of the relevant things, I think, is just sort of a corrective lens and celebration of romantic love, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, the other corrective lens, I think, is for God. Like these metaphors, I think it can be uncomfortable for people to see God as having this sort of um, impassioned love for people. Uh, for whatever reason, I think a lot of Christians, like, and you may disagree with me here, but there's that Corey Asbury song, Reckless Love. And there are people who lost their minds criticizing it because God's not reckless, like, right. and, and it's, you know, theologically incorrect. But it's like, have you read, like, have you read some of these metaphors where it compares God, like Hosea, mm-hmm. where, where God, where Hosea going after his uh, wife who returns to prostitution and then purchasing her back, like um, that's not exactly logical or calculated or sensical in a human sense. Like that is kind of reckless to chase after your unfaithful spouse. Mm-hmm. But we're told that's like what God's like. And then Song of Songs. This, the Song of Songs itself, like there's there's like a background chorus of characters who are kind of questioning the woman the whole time. Yeah. What What are you doing? Why is this man so special? And she's yeah, like, he's, he's not that great. You don't understand. Like he is my lover. He is my friend. This is who I've devoted yeah. my life to. So like yeah. without regard for consequence, like she is pursuing this person above all costs. Um, yeah. 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 The, well, we have the phrase head over heels for somebody and the image is sort of like you're tripping over yourself, yeah. you know, like, Song of Songs is saying God trips over himself as he pursues us in love, right? Um, And it's also portraying like what God wants with us as humans isn't this sort of religious, pious, like ritualistic adherence to rules and uh, 
worship rituals alone. Like God wants an experiential intimate relationship with his people, like corporate, but also the corporate body is made up of individuals. So like a corrective lens, I think for people is helping them just see that like God loves you <laughs> in mm-hmm. this sort of way. And he wants this. It's, it's not this like angry uh, judge up in the sky with a uh, 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 gavel waiting to yeah. smack down and, and smash you. Like he's more like a lover who's head over heels for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even kind of hard for me to understand sometimes. Like I, I tend to be more um, heady in my understanding of God. Like I love the, the theology, the theory, the mystery. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I hear like a worship song, like God, is, God loves you. God cares for you. God is intimately um, devoted to you. It's just like, sometimes it just makes me uncomfortable. And I have to remind myself like, like, no, that's actually true. <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah I, right. that doesn't need to make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of, it, this is getting into a bit of a psychology. I think that goes back to like a deep insecure, insecurity that like I am inherently unlovable. Yeah. Like if it makes me uncomfortable that God loves me, like that means that in my deep down in my heart, like I, I don't think I'm lovable. Yeah. And that's not what God thinks of me. Yeah. And it's clear, like with, with a book like Song of Songs, um, even other other books of the Bible, it's it's very clear, like, no, God actually loves me so much that he would do anything to have me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of yeah. preaching to myself a little bit here. But. Yeah. <laughs> And, and um, yeah, so I guess those are the things, the corrective lens is the relevance for today is the corrective lens that sex is good and then God loves you. Um, and that's his, like, uh, his, uh, someone, I, there's a quote about this, but that, like, God's fundamental disposition towards you is, uh, is love, is, um, it begins there. And, yeah, I think that's good. I'm kind of with you. I tend to connect with God um, through sort of theological exploration. Uh, but what, and even when I read scripture, I don't necessarily find myself overwhelmed with a sense of God's love through the scriptures. But a lot of times when I listen to music, it is music sometimes that sort of connects me to that, which I think is interesting. Uh, right. Song of songs uh, in the Psalms and the, like that is a redeemable re- uh, way to connect with God too through music. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, yeah, that's what I, that's what I'd say. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Matt? No, I think that about wraps it up. I would encourage you, if this was intriguing at all, our discussion, read Song of Songs um, and study it for yourself. You might come to different conclusions than we did, but no, that's okay. I think it's it's good uh, good for anyone to read and study. It's challenging. Um, it's a bit it's a bit uh, you know um, unconventional as far as books of the Bible go, as far as Bible studies go, uh, but. <laughs> I think I hope we've kind of opened opened your mind, opened your eyes a little bit to how how beautiful it is, um, and it can be very impactful. I think so. If you're interested in reading some of my my thoughts on it, um, I have a blog, a website. It's kingdomethos.com. Um, so the word kingdom dash ethos e t h o s dot com. That's kind of my the place where I kind of put my my thoughts to paper as I read scripture. So you can check out my blog series on the Song of Songs. It's called The Divine Pursuit. Uh, I've been working on it for a really long time. Uh, and uh, I'm, he's a little bit proud of it. He won't, he won't admit it. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, really, it I'm, I'm really 
I'm really enjoying it. And um, I was excited to kind of, you know, pitch this to Anthony talking about it as a Valentine's Day episode. Uh, so I would, I would uh, encourage you to check it out if you're curious. I try to go chapter by chapter or at least section by section. I try and break it up as much as I can. Um, they're not long. It's like, you know, 500 to 1,000 words at most for each post. Um, so uh, hopefully that would help you um, work through the book on your own if you're interested in studying it. And I talk a little bit more about the, the Israel allegories and kind of some more over underlying themes. And I get into some of the, the language, you know, quirks and stuff like that. And I just kind of have fun with it. I'm not all the way through the whole book yet. I think I'm in like chapter six. So I have two more chapters to go, um, but I'll finish it soon. But that was awesome. my shameless plug. <laughs> well, thank you for the, thank you for the shameless plug. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, and uh, if you, enjoyed this episode or any other episode in the past and feel like, hey, this would be uh, great to share with other people, please do. I have found that um, most of the podcasts that I have come to listen to, I have found out about through word of mouth. So um, share, like, share, uh, subscribe, uh, rate on, on, uh, on iTunes or on the, the podcast app. And all of those things can sort of enhance our listener base, but we uh, appreciate listening. And until next time, thanks for joining Theology Everyone.